0: entitled Concerning the Astral World and Devicon. And this is a big the beginning of part two, which is entitled The World of Spirit, or Devicon, four lectures held in Berlin between January twenty eighth and february twenty fifth, nineteen oh four. And these are only listeners' notes, not stenographic reports. And this is the first lecture I'm entitling it uh, to stay in the book, the continuity of the book. It's Lecture 7.1. It's the first one in the second section, the seventh lecture in the entire series so far. And this one is entitled The World of Spirit or Devicon Part 1, given in Berlin on January 28, 1904. Honored listeners, Eight days ago I described the structure of the region that everyone must pass through who enters the condition between two incarnations, the so-called kingdom of the mental kingdom or the world of Devakan. I spoke of the three regions we must distinguish there. I also remarked that the words that we have at our disposal in ordinary language are insufficient to describe the perceptions in the mental kingdom. As a result we must often use symbols or we are in a position to offer only an indication of what is to be perceived by a person when passing through this country during the time between two incarnations. Those who, as initiates, know about this country, describe it in words that are more I- an indication than strictly corresponding to reality. For this reason you should take the descriptions that I gave last time more as indications. What those experience... Whose sense for the world of Devakan has been opened is almost inexpressible. I presented three regions of Devakan and commented that these three correspond to the three regions on our earth the solid mountainous, that is, the continental region of Devakan, the fluid region, that is, the ocean region of Devakan, and the region of the sea of air. As I said last time, Goethe was one of the German poets who knew something of this land. Goethe had his Mephistopheles describe this country more outwardly. and Already with this description you can see that Goethe knew how difficult it is to speak of this land. He described it by having Mephistopheles draw Faust's attention to what he would find there. Mephistopheles said the following, And if to ocean's end... Swimming, your path should lead, To look upon enormity of space. Still would you see that waves to waves succeed. Even though you have a shuddering doom to face, You'd still see something in the green Of silenced depth, our gliding dolphin scene. Still cloud will stir and sun and moon and star. You will see nothing in the distances of the eternal void. You will not hear your own step. You will not find anything solid to stand upon. Close quote. Those who read this with understanding will be able to see this as an approximate description of this kingdom. In another passage, Mephistopheles says to Faust, quote, Here, take this key. The key will scent the true path. From all others. Follow it down, it will guide you to the mothers. The kingdom of the mothers was also spoken of at the time of Plutarch. For Goethe, this is the kingdom of what has not yet come into being. For this reason, he has Mephisto say to Faust Descend then to the depths, I could just as well say ascend to the heights, flee from what has Taken on form in existence, into the kingdom unfettered by forms, rejoice in things that long have ceased from being. That is a description given by a European. Now I will also give you the description from a Hindu sage. It is colored in an Eastern way, although expressing the same contents. It says, There are many thousands of world systems. This world has a kingdom of blessedness as its foundation. The kingdoms are bound by seven rows of fences. They are ruled by the Tathagata and belong to the Bodhisattvas. Water flows through these kingdoms and they have seven characteristics. I have described three kingdoms of Devakon that correspond to our solid land, our oceans, and the sea of air. I have said that the land of Devakan appears different from our land, and I have said that we find forms there that we also see here, however they are engraved like the imprint of a seal. This continental land mass forms the basic foundation of Devakon. A lively mass of ocean is in movement within this land mass. It permeates all being with a rose color and forms the life source of all forms, all shapes that are to come into existence, such as plants, animals and human beings. In Devakan, the atmosphere has a very special character. We see our physical atmosphere as blue. The atmosphere in Devakan is a radiant reddish color. It has an extremely sensitive ability to feel and sense, which resides in every atom and souls every single atom. The active force of everything in the atmosphere has a life of feeling. Everything experienced as pain or desire in the lower kingdoms is expressed in the atmosphere of Devakan. Those who can perceive at this level understand what the initiate of Christian religion, Paul, said, quote, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Additionally, the atmosphere is permeated by a music that the ancient Pythagorean called music of the spheres. Those who have already heard this music, which is an expression of this harmony of the cosmos, can hear it everywhere, even when it is drowned out by the noise of everyday life. In the expression of a Hindu wise person, this is described as fences. Now we come to the fourth region of the kingdom of spirit. This is a very special kingdom. The creators of all things and the beings who ensoul all things are at work there. So-called Akashic matter is the substance, the clay, from which everything is formed. All magicians speak of this picture. Goethe also speaks of this, where he speaks of fire air. It is the matter that has the greatest plasticity, the matter that can be imprinted both by the spirit and by material shapes. This is the matter that has been unknown since the beginning of Christendom and that remained unknown until the Theosophical Society appeared. When the first call went out to Senate to make this knowledge known to the Western world, we hear in his book a description of this matter, which is supposed to contain magical forces. We read there, as a master himself expresses it, that a cultured person from the West will come to understand the significance of this Akashic matter only slowly and with great difficulty. As I described eight days ago, the Devakonic world can be divided into three higher kingdoms and three lower kingdoms. The three higher kingdoms shine and sound forth into the three lower kingdoms. We characterized the three lower Devakonic kingdoms, called Rupa kingdoms, in the language of Theosophy as solid land, ocean, and an atmosphere of air. The three higher kingdoms extend on the other side of the fourth kingdom, Akasha, the origin of everything found on this side of Devakan that is, the astral kingdom and physical kingdom, is found in higher Devakan. This Arupa kingdom is inhabited by beings of the loftiest nature. The masters of original Christian wisdom were still able to describe this kingdom. This wisdom was still known in Christian wisdom until the 13th century. Then the knowledge was lost. No one understands the Christian wisdom of earlier centuries who doesn't understand that the three highest kingdoms of Devakan are described in those writings. These three kingdoms are, as stated, inhabited by the loftiest beings who guide and lead all the processes in the lower kingdoms. Goethe also points to the first step of Upper Devakan in a passage from titled The Green Snake and the Beautiful Lily. You can read there quote, what is more profound than light? Conversation. Close quote. This is one of the most profound statements made by Goethe. From the kingdom of light in Devakan arises the so called kingdom of conversation. This is the kingdom in which not only light but also a stream of knowledge as light flows forth. The higher beings speak eternal truths through this stream within human beings. The conversation of the cosmos speaks through this stream. Here we rise to the higher kingdoms in which the words for this conversation are produced. In these kingdoms, the voice sounds forth in which the origin of the world is found. Human beings refer to this voice as the Word, from which worlds have come forth. There are a number of lofty beings living in the kingdom of conversation. In the Christian tradition, they are called exousiae. These are beings difficult to characterize using expressions from the Western world. These beings become visible in the garment of the light of knowledge. I have often pointed out that one such being appeared to Moses in the burning bush. That passage in the Bible indicates an exousiae. The garment of these beings is woven from the matter found in this kingdom. These beings then become visible and proclaim the truth to those who are mature enough to hear them. We will now ascend to still higher regions. There we find beings that can no longer become visible. However, they can still speak to human beings when humans are mature enough. The first teachers of Christian wisdom called them dunamis. These are beings that radiate as creative powers. In the next hierarchy, we find the dominions, the Kyriotites. With these three, we have the hierarchies of lofty beings that sound forth in the three highest kingdoms of Devakan. In Christian esotericism, there is much that indicates that this knowledge was still alive in the first centuries of Christendom. However, it was lost because there were ever fewer Christian initiates. There are also beings in the kingdom that I previously described as the atmosphere of Devakan, whose garment is woven from the atmosphere of Devakan, but who have entirely opposite characteristics from what we human beings possess. The characteristics of these beings living in the atmosphere of Devakan are difficult to describe. We human beings ascribe sensations and feelings to ourselves. However, we must ascribe to these beings that they do not receive feelings coming toward them but that they carry feelings and sensations out into the atmosphere they are thus beings of an entirely different sort wherever they go they radiate forth the forces of feeling and sensation while we human beings receive feelings and sensations that stream into us only in this way can i characterize these beings in christian esotericism this was expressed by calling these beings archangeloi. Today this expression is no longer understood. It is not permitted for this expression to be used for physical powers. That would be superstition. It must be used for devakonic beings that carry the message of sensation and feeling through the atmosphere of devakon and spread pure feeling and sensation everywhere. The ocean of Devakan is comparable to a rosy-colored stream that is poured over everything. It is enlivened by a series of beings that are characterized as messengers, as angeloi. These do not carry sensation and feeling. They carry life through the kingdom of Devakan. They are bearers of life. And the solid kingdom, the kingdom of continents of Devakan, is enlivened and ensouled by beings that in Christian esotericism are called Archai. The lower kingdom of Devakan, the solid kingdom, the continental kingdom, is enlivened by these Archai. They are the ones who breathe life into everything. These beings are called in Christian esotericism the hierarchies of the Archai the archangels and the angels. They are met by every human being whose devakonic senses have been opened and by every human being who has died and is passing through the time between two incarnations. I have already pointed out that human beings, when they have set aside their body, must spend time in the astral world. I will return to this. Now I would like to tell you about what happens in this world where human beings become mature enough to step into the world of Devakan. Everything we bring with us from the physical world of nature is cleansed away by the forces of Kama in the astral world. Even the so-called feeling for oneself is slowly dissolved in the astral world. All chaotic forces are loosened when we enter into Devakan. I will mention again the four higher kingdoms of the astral kingdom, which could also be called the strata of sympathy. They are filled with a fine astral substance, with a substance of sympathy, in contrast to the substance of egotism found in the lower three steps. In the fourth kingdom, egotism is dissolved. In the fifth, the pleasure from the senses is dissolved. In this fifth part of the Astral Kingdom we learn to admire the beauty of the world, not because it is pleasant, but rather because everything that is pure and eternal should be beautiful. And in the sixth Astral Kingdom we learn the deeper powers of compassion, of goodwill, of devotion to the world. In the seventh Kingdom all the remaining life that we have brought from the lower regions is melted away like snow and sunlight. And then we will have to pass... To the four lower steps of Devakan, which I described previously, life on these four steps has an enormous significance. I have said that the archetypal powers, the Archai, are to be found in this first kingdom of Devakan. We come into contact with them here. Here we find disembodied souls gathering new forces for their later life. Everything that held us together with ethnic blood ties, national groupings, in short, everything that points more or less to blood ties within the human race, all of this is spiritualized in this kingdom of Arkai, so that we can be purified by what we have learned and are able to be endowed with higher capacities. The meaning of the kingdom of Devakan is simply this. We pass through it so that what we learned during our earthly life can be formed into higher capacities. In the physical world, we should gather experiences that are then transformed into abilities. We should emerge from the school of life, improved and strengthened. Then we move into the second region of Devakan. The ocean of Devakan is what connects everything together. Just as water connects all the land in the world, so in Devakan, the flowing rose-colored water connects everything that has boundaries in the lower kingdoms. Wherever there are families, tribes, clans, ethnic groups or countries, boundaries are erected. These boundaries must exist, but at the same time, the fact is that we all belong together. The harmony of all beings must be established. These beings must find themselves together in the river that flows through everything. When we enter into this river, we then enjoy the fruits of every seed we have ever sown. There each one of us will find what elevates us above the boundaries of existence. We are cleansed of the boundaries that must of necessity cling to us within the earthly region. We are led to acquire new capacities, new abilities. Indeed, they are merely seeds, but the flowers that will come forth from them are the abilities we create for ourselves and then carry with us into our new lives. The third region is what I have described as the atmosphere in Devakan. We enter into this atmosphere during life between two incarnations. In that place where the sighs of nature can be heard, where every thunder evokes pain, where sunlight corresponds to what we call eternal bliss and joy, in that place is created what we call a sense for philanthropy, for noble humanity, for the next incarnation. This is where active devotion understanding devotion, and daily love arise. And this is the plant that, above all, flourishes here and that we develop within ourselves. Here we see the fruits of what we experienced in the egotistical world. Here we become active, working beings. We become human beings who truly know in the highest sense the meaning of the words humanity and philanthropy. Then the fourth kingdom comes, Akasha. This is the kingdom where all existence sounds forth. Here we learn to recognize what gives form and shape in world existence to beings and things. Here we learn how tone is linked to tone in a symphony, how the forces of nature are connected to other forces of nature and are transformed into, in quotes, instruments. Here we come to know the beings that discover and invent. Here we get to know not only the forces as such, but we come to know them as living beings. Here we are permeated by the living productive power to create. Here we come to know what is created as expressions of human existence, what is created in terms of human institutions that enliven humanity, and what is suitable for human life. We also learn to recognize what belongs to the area of the higher arts. In all this life are laws that are experienced in akasha as living beings. When we immerse ourselves in the light of this experience, we are immersing ourselves in the fourth kingdom of Devakan, in the ways in which weaving takes place, quote, on the rushing loom of time, close quote. That is what we learn there. Those are the four steps in which we live through what we prepared for ourselves in our previous earthly life in order to create new capacities. When we have passed through this fourth kingdom, a very important moment has come. We are placed into the other side of our world system, into the actual kingdom of the Spirit, into the kingdom where impressions are formed, quote, from the other side, close quote. We can spend only a short time there, only those who have already attained a higher stage of evolution can stay there longer. Human beings who have not yet evolved have only a brief moment of enlightenment in these higher kingdoms, in order then to descend again into the deeper regions, to gather experiences and return again. Then they spend longer and longer periods there. When we enter this kingdom again, the abilities are developed that had been limited by the world of matter previously. I am calling this an important moment because what had been held together earlier by matter is now completely set aside, removed. What had been narrow before is now wide. What had been entangled and interwoven before is now developed. It becomes fluid. The human being becomes free. Our capacities are no longer constricted by matter. We can compare this state with a plant that cannot grow freely but must grow in the crevice between two boulders and adapt its form to the shape of the crevice. It grows up but is constricted by the crevice. The same holds true for the human soul. Assume the stone around the crevice becomes softer and softer so that the plant can unfold itself a little more. When the human soul enters into the Akasha kingdom, it finds absolute equality. To those whose devakonic eye, E-Y-E, has been opened, it is wonderful to see how the soul is developed when transitioning out of the Akasha kingdom into the higher kingdoms of Devakon. We see the soul as a fine etheric substance in the middle of an egg or a spherical hovering substance. It sets aside sheath after sheath. The fine color of the sheath of the Akasha is set aside and the pure being itself unfolds radiant in a new light in a light that cannot be described in earthly words. It gets an entirely free form. Every capacity that was constricted in earthly life and was not completely free, even in the kingdom of Lower Devakan, is now free. It can now bring all of its capacities into full growth. The more a human being develops abilities, the more he or she expands, and the more he or she takes along into the next incarnation. As long as such souls are permitted to dwell there, they make the acquaintance of the masters of wisdom and compassion. This is the kingdom where they are permitted, through grace, to receive from even loftier beings the purposes and the intentions at the foundation of the cosmos. They weave the gown of the world from here, the garment that is woven from the material of the lower Devakan kingdom, from the astral kingdom and from the kingdom of earthly substances. There above the the intentions the outlines of cosmic evolution are created. Here those who have developed their abilities in the course of evolution can get to know the threefold sequence of steps that I have enumerated. In the first sphere of higher Devakan, they learn from the beings who have ascended to be exousiae, who know the wonderful blossom that swells forth from the seeds of the universe. They learn how they grow. They get to know the eternal forces of the universe. In this sphere, they meet the beings who have the power of thought. They see how a thought works through them. The next higher sphere hosts the beings called dunamis. They have not only the power of thought, but also the power to be a source of thought. They are beings that have the seeds for thoughts. Compare the Exusi with flowers. Now imagine a seed that is transparent, bright and clear, but also has the power to become a flower. Thus through these beings a seed of thought can be formed and then from the other side, the entire thought can be built into the akasha, that is, the sound, so to speak, or of the entire fabric of the world. As Goethe described this in Faust, this is where forms are created, where the mothers sit on their thrones in loneliness and work at their glowing tripod. As I already said, in Plutarch's time, this kingdom was also called the kingdom of the mothers. If you... Read about the kingdom of the mothers in Plutarch. This story will reveal an entirely new meaning. The beings we call Curiotites sound forth in the highest kingdom. Only the most highly developed human beings can gain even a brief glimpse into this kingdom. Everything is harmony and unity there. All exception has disappeared. The Exousiae, the Dunamis, the Curiotites are the three highest kingdoms, in which human abilities are completely free. These are the kingdoms we enter in the time between two incarnations in order to find forces from what lies on the other side, for work we must do on this side of world existence. What happens on this side of existence, what we do ourselves, this is the world of results, the world of action. New forces for existence flow to us, from the world of causes, when we return to a new incarnation. Everything that we do in this world that rises into our soul as moral ideals, as ability to work creatively, as daily love for fellow human beings, everything that occurs to us for mastering the forces of nature in technology, all this resides hidden deeply in the human soul. The soul brought it from the kingdom of higher Devakan, where the initiatives for work on this side of the threshold are found. Goethe points to this in a wonderful way in his fairy tale The Green Snake and the Beautiful Lily, where he speaks of the river, we can compare it to the river of Akasha, and the beach on the far side, calling the garden on the far side the beautiful lily's flower. The reports from the Hindu wise men also speak of such flowers. It is the power that flows through all of Devakan. The fruits from this flower are the archetypes for this world of earth. If human beings want to work, then they must obtain strength from the nourishment of this fruit. Then they evolve and develop. They become active and full of strength. As I said, theosophy should not draw us away from the world. It does not want to move us into a kingdom in which we would become weak and languid for earthly existence. This it does not want to do. It wants to do something entirely different. It wants to point us to a kingdom in which we can receive strength and abilities so that we are strong and able to do our work in earthly existence. People who do not know what lies both behind them and before them are like the blind, who can only stumble around and do not know in what direction they are stumbling and what they are bumping into and a person who can see is someone who knows the way forward and backward. The particular beings that we also meet there will be the object of the next lectures. We will hear still more about our entire life in Devakan, also about individual experiences, and about how the world of Devakan works into our world. From these introductory lectures it should be clear that theosophy is not alienated from reality, but is rather a teaching full of creative joy and saturated with reality. It does not take people away from earthly existence, but rather equips them with forces that live in earthly existence but are not visible. You must know this if you are striving upward into the kingdoms that are inaccessible to those who cling to the physical world only. To all those people who are enemies of the spiritual kingdoms, all those who say that there is nothing on the other side of the world of the senses, to those we wish to respond with the words of Goethe, quote, Well, let us always move forward. We'll plumb and search the depths. For in your nothing I hope to find the all. Close quote. The end of lecture 7.1.